When we raised our seed round of funding, it was a million dollar seed round. I became the first black woman to raise a million dollars for a packaged food company. Black women start companies at a rate faster than any other group in the United States. That is a dismal statistic. And so I feel a self-imposed pressure to be able to prove myself, to prove to investors and to retail partners and other folks that like, this is possible. Like not all founders have to look the same. And I feel a responsibility to help support other women and other people of color founders. And so I feel like I have this wonderful chance. I have so many retailers and investor partners that have been willing to take a shot on me. I owe it to like this other community of founders to be able to try to take this as far as I can to hopefully make things easier for them. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Denise Wooder is the founder and CEO of Partake. It's a company that offers allergy-friendly, certified gluten-free and non-GMO foods. She founded it back in 2016 when her daughter was diagnosed with multiple food allergies. Partake looks to provide healthy and delicious options for those with food restrictions. Remarkably, but gratefully, Denise is the first Black woman to raise more than $1 million publicly for a CPG food startup. She also founded Black Futures in Food and Beverage, an annual fellowship program that mentors HBCU students and helps them find internships and jobs in the food industry. I started with Denise by asking her about her influences from family and community and what inspired her to become an entrepreneur. Yes. So my dad is actually an entrepreneur. He, I grew up in Fayetteville, which is uh, right outside the military community, Fort Bragg. So my dad was in the military for a good portion of my life and then got out and became an over-the-road truck driver. And over time, he was able to save enough money to buy his own truck and then several trucks and runs a trucking company. And so I got to see the pride um, and impact that he was able to have through his business. But I was also able to see the hard work and the nonstopness of uh, being an entrepreneur. And so while I found it fascinating, his guidance to me and my mother's guidance to me and kind of my desire initially was to go into corporate America. But I feel like I always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think I I attribute a lot of that to my dad. So you were in corporate America and you had been in corporate America and then you decide to go out on your own and start a business. Take me through that process and how it all came about. Sure. So I'd always had a side hustle. I spent most of my corporate career at Coca-Cola pretty serendipitously was working on their venture brands before I left. So I was getting to work with high growth, mission-oriented beverage brands. I had this eBay business that was bringing in like six figures. And then I had this like random ticket brokering business. So I always had like something on the side, but never anything that was scalable that I wanted to leave my corporate career, which I really enjoyed for until my daughter came along and she's seven now. But right around her first birthday, we learned that she had several food allergies. And as I walked the aisles trying to find products that she could safely enjoy, I was really frustrated and disappointed with what I found. From a taste perspective, the products did not meet her taste buds or standards. And then 
from a nutritional perspective, I'd always equated the words vegan or gluten-free with healthy, but quickly realized that could also mean ton of sugar and artificial ingredients. And it didn't necessarily equate with healthy. And then most of all, I started to realize that there would be so many social events she wouldn't be able to confidently participate in because of her food allergies. And while there were brands providing a safe solution, I didn't find any of them particularly cool. I didn't think her friends would be choosing any of those and felt like there was some real white space that I wanted to address to create a solution for my daughter and other families managing food allergies. How difficult was that for you? I have kids myself, two daughters, and just seeing a a six-year-old, seven-year-old girl and going to birthday parties and not being able to have, let's say, cake or those other types of things. Was that difficult for you personally also? Yes, I find it heartbreaking. Still do. I remember it was a birthday party when my daughter was like two or three and we had this fabulous family weekend on Sunday as we were doing our bedtime routine. I was like, what a great weekend. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't get to have the cupcake at Teddy's party and just like started weeping. And you could have like, I felt like my heart was just going to like shred to pieces. And it was those types of moments and knowing that there's millions of other families experiencing the same thing is what really pushed me to start the business. So tell me how it happened because you were working for some, I mean, Coca-Cola is one of the most, probably the major CPG company out there, one of them. And when you talk about corporate America, that's corporate America. How was it and how did you come up with the idea? Was it difficult to decide to leave and start Partake? I feel like this is probably one of the biggest blessings in disguise on my journey. It was almost like out of a movie. I was in line at the zoo on a Saturday with my husband and daughter. And I was telling my husband, Jeremy, you won't believe what idea Martha. Martha was our nanny who has some equity in the business because she really pushed me to start the business. I love that, by the way, that you gave her equity in terms of that. But go ahead. And so I was telling Jeremy, I was like, you wouldn't believe what Martha said. She thinks I should start a company because of Vivi's food allergies. And this man in line in front of me turns around and is like, it sounds like you have a really nice idea there. You should enter this small business pitch competition. And that was a Saturday afternoon. The competition was called the Start Something Challenge. And it was for small businesses in New Jersey. It was backed by Whole Foods and I believe JP Morgan and Blackstone. And the applications closed that Monday. I went home and incorporated a business that I called Vivi's Life LLC because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do other than try to make my daughter Vivi's life a little bit easier. Entered the pitch competition. We won. Came with $10,000 in prize money, which was great. But the bigger thing that I think it came with, which I didn't realize at the time was local press, which forced me to tell Coca-Cola what I was working on. And while they were supportive in theory, they were like, yeah, but when you have an actual product, there is a conflict of interest and you got to hit the road. And so it gave me the necessary kick in the butt. Otherwise, I probably would have tried to turn this into a side hustle and we wouldn't be here where we are today. You know, it's amazing. It's like almost, I always ask like, and one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs who come from a corporate background is taking that uh, jump off the diving board. And in this case, it seems like you were pushed, which was a good thing. And, And so tell me also the guy, the guy who was online, like how fortuitous was that? And like, you ever know what happened to him? No, but I wish I did because I would give him a big hug and tell him thank you. It's so amazing and incredible. So tell me how you enter this contest, you win, and you realize you have to leave Coca-Cola or it's not going to work out. What was your mind frame at that time? So we win the competition. I tell Coca-Cola... And they say, when you have a product, you got to hit the road. So I spent the next year figuring out how to get a product, where to make the products, 
Martha and I failed horribly in the kitchen and thankfully were able to enlist the help of a professional product developer who was willing to work with us. And so the next year in August of 2017, armed with three flavors of cookies, I left my job at Coke and started officially Partake. And we launched uh, self-distributed and self-funded. So I sold cookies out of the back of my car to natural food stores in New York, and I bootstrapped the business. I love it. Tell me about that, the challenges. How difficult was that? Was there any time you just were like, you know what, maybe this isn't right. This is going to be too difficult and thought about quitting? That part was definitely a physical grind. Like literally I would fill up my car every day with cookies and I had these different routes like Brooklyn on this day, Upper West Side on this day. But it was really exciting. I got to meet so many of our consumers because I did hundreds of demos. I would drag my family along to work trade shows and festivals on the weekends. And it got me really excited about what the possibility of the business could be because I met so many consumers who didn't have food allergies, who fell in love with the product for a variety of reasons. And so that part actually was like motivating and made me want to keep going. Now, when we started to try to fundraise a bit later, then there were some times I wanted to say, am I really doing this for the right? Like, why am I doing this? This is so hard. But that beginning part, it was physically taxing and exhausting, but like such a joyous way to start. Although I didn't see it like that at the time. Fundraising is a huge challenge from entrepreneurs I've talked to and from some of the best ideas. Almost every single entrepreneur on this show from founder of Lululemon to founder of Warby Park, whatever it may have been, there was always, it was never, hey, someone was like, this is a great idea. I remember the woman from Rent the Runway. They just couldn't understand what her business was because she was talking to a lot of guy VCs. But almost everyone I talked to says that that was the most difficult part. And they went through 50, 60, 70 people who really like, and it was very taxing. but. You, did you start with Kickstarter? We did start with Kickstarter. So we started with Kickstarter, less for fundraising, more for, I found there's not very many manufacturers in the country that are allergy friendly. And that was so important to our brand proposition. So I called one up and wanted them to work with us. And they were like, nice idea lady. We work with like big real companies. And I thought, well, I'll show them. And so I ran a Kickstarter campaign that ended up finishing in the top 1% of food Kickstarters at the time. And I was able to take that story back to them and say, see, I told you so. And that's what got them. That's what convinced them to work with us as a manufacturing partner. I love that. I'm sure they're very happy now that you actually went out and did that. So How, aside from that and seeing how Kickstarter, the interest there, how did you know there was a market? How did you realize and understand that, you know what, this could actually be a multi-million dollar business? It was through those first stores in New York. My goal was to get into 50 stores in the New York market and then measure how we were performing against our key competitors. And pretty quickly, we were able to meet or exceed what like stalwart brands in our category were doing. And that's when I realized that we were onto something. And as I talked to our consumers and I realized that it wasn't just people with food allergies like I expected. Actually, those are the people who weren't willing to try the product because they were like, we don't know you. We don't trust you. You have no brand equity. But it was these much larger groups of people, just health conscious consumers, people who wanted to support a woman or minority owned business, parents whose kids didn't have food allergies, but needed a school safe snack that their kids could share. It really opened my eyes to like, there could be something here. I got a question that it seemed like growing up, you know, when I was growing up, there weren't 
tons of allergies, or at least it wasn't recognized, even kind of old, but like in the 80s and like maybe peanut butter. Why does it seem like, or is it different today that there's more and more allergies, especially for children? So it there seems that there definitely are more folks getting allergies, kids getting allergies, and even adults developing later, developing them later in life. The number of people born with food allergies is like grows at a rate that's four times faster than like the normal population. The incidence of peanut allergies is up like 368% over the past 10 years. I think as more people are diagnosed with food allergies, we'll see more dollars going to food allergy research. So we'll understand why. Some of the theories right now are around gut health, some theories around like GMOs and like our food system. Although we're seeing the same increase in allergies in Europe and other places that have really strict rules around food production and quality. And then other theory around like our society being too clean and our immune systems not being strong because of that. And so I'm hoping that they can create, develop other treatment methods outside of an EpiPen and also understand the root cause of the food allergies because they're growing at a, a pretty quick rate. So you start selling, you're selling to all these stores, the product starts doing really well in terms of sales going against some of the staples maybe that were prior in the business already for a longer period of time. At that point with the business, what were you thinking in terms of, or were you thinking in terms of how do I really expand this? For sure. So I, when I left my job at Coke, I said like, I'm only leaving this job that I love to create a scalable business that will be able to impact millions of people. I knew that we would have to start small to be able to get there, but that was always my intent from the beginning. And so as we started to see strong traction in the New York market, we started to approach other retailers. And so the next year in the summer of 2018, Whole Foods and Wegmans both were willing to give us a chance. And kind of that was our next phase of growth. Like, can we take this outside of New York City? Can we take this to regional grocers and replicate the same results? And you get those deals. I'm sure you're ecstatic. I have to think at that point, you're thinking also production. How am I going to produce this product? You want it to do well, but was that a concern of yours? Yes. How am I going to pay to produce this product? At that point, we had bootstrapped it as far as we could. I ended up selling my engagement ring, maxing out our I know, maxing out my credit cards, emptying my 401k, like we bootstrapped till we could bootstrap no more and started to try to raise a friends and family round of funding. I come from fairly uh, a fairly humble beginning, so there's no accredited investors in my family, so I'm using that term fairly loosely, but thankfully I had a lot of old colleagues. My husband had colleagues. Like we had people who who showed up for us in five and ten and twenty thousand dollar checks that never seemed to come at the same time. So we were always about to run out of money, but it was always enough to keep the lights on and keep things going to be able to prove out that success at Wegmans and Whole Foods. I love that. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you an innovative, creative founder? Is your consumer packaged goods startup ready to make a next level leap? Target Accelerators is accepting applications for its 2023 programs now through February 3rd. Whether you're an early stage startup or a CPG company ready to grow, Target Accelerators will help you scale your business for success. That's right, Target Accelerators will help unlock the potential of your brand for mass retail through curated education, personalized resources, and connection to industry-leading retail leaders, mentors, and partners 
that could forever shape the trajectory of your business. No fees or strings attached. Being an entrepreneur is fulfilling, but the journey can also be full of challenges as you build something from scratch. You're not alone though. Target Accelerator's programs are expertly tailored to your needs and business and are proven to help founders reach retail success. So, ready to apply, scale, and succeed? Interested founders and startups can apply to all Target Accelerator's 2023 programs for a limited time on January 9th through February 3rd on TargetAccelerators.com. That's www.targetaccelerators.com. What are you waiting for? Become one of more than 300 brands that call themselves Target Accelerators alumni today. And we're back. I've had a lot of entrepreneurs on this show, but I don't think I ever had anyone that sold their engagement ring, which I have to give you a ton of credit just to show what this mission must have meant for you. And also when you do have your back to the wall, like you did, what was it? What's inside of you that I find most entrepreneurs, the number one thing that makes them successful is being able to pick themselves off the mat. What is it inside of you? Where does that come from that you're just able to, like you said earlier, like I'm going to show them or the fact you sold your engagement ring? Where does that come from? I think two places. One is my daughter. Like she understands what I'm trying to build, that we had a problem in our household and we I wanted to be able to help other people and create a solution. And it's one thing if the business happens to fail, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let my daughter see that I started something to make life better for her and for other people. And then just say, gosh, this got hard. I'm just going to stop. So I think there's her. And then I think about like when we raised our seed round of funding, it was a million dollar seed round. I became the first black woman to raise a million dollars for a packaged food company. Black women start companies at a rate faster than any other group in the United States. That is a dismal statistic. And so I feel a self-imposed pressure to be able to prove myself, to prove to investors and to retail partners and other folks that like, this is possible. Like not all founders have to look the same. And I feel a responsibility to help support other women and other people of color founders. And so I feel like I have this wonderful chance. I have so many retailers and investor partners that have been willing to take a shot on me. I owe it to like this other community of founders to be able to try to take this as far as I can to hopefully make things easier for them. That's an incredibly awful statistic that you just shared. I mean, kudos to you to be that person, but thinking about that and understanding how there are like ideas that are horrible out there that I've seen and heard of or people who know background and get seed money of millions of dollars. And that statistic you just told me is really shows how far we still need to go in this world of entrepreneurship and venture capital or or raising funds. I'm so glad that you have proven in terms of the business and how it's grown. But I want to go back to Whole Foods and some of these other retailers. So you realize you have to make the product create it, put the money. Obviously you do. Then you get it to the Whole Foods. And then like, what's going through your mind? Are you like, this has got to sell? 
game time. We got to sell the product. And we specifically chose those retailers because at that time, I'm still a team of one full-time employee myself. But I know that Whole Foods and Wegmans really appreciate brands that do demos. I don't have a sophisticated marketing strategy, but I know that if people taste the cookies, they usually buy the cookies. When people hear the story, they buy the cookies. Um, We launched Whole Foods in the Texas market. I have a very generous brother-in-law who donated a lot of his time to help do demos for us. And then the Wegmans stores were in this market. So my husband and I could play coverage on those. And so it was just every single weekend, nonstop. We figured out, like, I had all these graphs for like, okay, Wednesday at 3 p.m. is a really busy time at the grocery store. So we must do demos at that time. And we just really, we just put put in the work of doing the demos to make sure that the product was selling. Now, wait, now you were in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Is Wegmans more so though upstate New York? Were you driving like... There was a lot of driving. I had like a tranche of stores in the uh, DMV, like uh, DC, Maryland area, another tranche of stores like near Ithaca, another tranche of stores near Buffalo. So there's a lot of time spent on the road, but it was all drivable. So it felt doable to us. Yeah. And, And did you find when you did do those demos and being in person, that was when you noticed that this product will sell if we can continue to get I guess, the food into people's mouths. For sure. It was, it was great to see. And it was like a reaffirming, like it helped reaffirm that this could be something. We have no brand awareness, but when people hear what we're doing, why we're doing it and taste the product, they're interested. Yeah, we've had some plant-based. We had uh, Ethan Brown on the, the podcast before and he just seemed like he was on a mission. And it seems like the space is really growing and there's opportunity. Is, is is that true? Is it a huge growth opportunity right now or have things changed since the time I, I probably spoke with Ethan Brown from Beyond Meat, maybe it was a year or two ago? I think that we're definitely continuing to see more entrance into the category of plant-based foods, snacks, alternative meat, et cetera. And at least in the cookie category, we're seeing that kind of better for you cookies as growing at a much more significantly fast rate than like standard normal cookies. And so I think there's opportunity, but there's also a ton of competitors entering the market. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Obviously you were once that upstart and people were making sure, like you said, they didn't trust you in in respect. Who was this person? But how do you fend off? Because you do start seeing a lot of people creating as vegan becomes much more common within, at least I know the US. How do you go about fending off that competition and making sure that you continue to grow? I think we are competitive aware. So we're paying attention to what's happening in the market, but we're really focused on delivering the best product to our consumers and building a bigger community of supporters, of followers, of folks who know what we're doing. And so while we pay attention to the competition, we still feel like there's a lot of white space for a better for you, delicious, inclusive cookie. And we feel like we're bringing that to the market. So we're heads down on how do we continue to deliver innovation, flavors, different pack sizes, products to meet our consumers' needs. How do we get into different locations, whether that be airlines or workplaces or grocery store shelves to meet them? And then how do we continue to uplift other communities, bring our community together so that people are aware of what we're doing and can support. When you look at 2023 here at the start of 2023, what are your goals specifically? Do you have specific goals for this year for the business? Sure thing. So 
I'm trying to focus. I feel like if my team hears the word focus or process more time, they may scream. But we have four big goals. We have a top line goal from a sales perspective. We have a bottom line goal because I want to make sure that we're watching how we spend. We have a goal focused on people and team and culture because I want our employees to know they're the thing that keeps this business going and they're valued. And we want to make sure that they're satisfied and engaged. And we have a goal around innovation, around what we're bringing to the market and when we need to get it here. And when I think about what success would look like for, for 2023, I think about more products. So we have some exciting innovation coming for this year and that we're getting ready for for 2024. It's more stores and more distribution. And so meeting our consumers, making our products accessible, meeting them where they live, work and play. So not just the grocery store. And it's more impact. Our business is focused on doing good as our business does well. And so how do we continue to have an impact, particularly around reducing food insecurity and increasing diversity in the food industry. I know that's really important for you, increasing diversity within the food industry. And I I guess back in 2020, you launched Black Futures in Food and Beverage, I guess a fellowship program. Can you tell us about that and why it's so important? Sure thing. So when I worked at Coca-Cola, while I loved my experience there, I was often frustrated with the lack of diverse talent in management roles. And I thought, well, when I start my own company, I'll change that. And then I started my own company. And as I needed folks that had experience, whether that be big CPG, fast growth startup experience, the applicant pool of qualified applicants was much more homogenous than I wanted it to be. And I thought, well, what can I do to change that? And so we worked with five historically Black colleges and universities to select fellows. And we started in 2020, and we've run two cohorts since then, where we go through an eight-week curriculum of the nuts and bolts of the food industry. And it culminates with a virtual career day we've, where we've had large companies, brands like Beyond Meat, actually, who have attended. And we've helped about 20 students find jobs or internships in the food industry. And so I figure if we can provide the mentorship and education and network to these students that they'll have a good head start into the food industry. And hopefully when another entrepreneur is looking for a diverse talent pool 10 years from now, the landscape looks a lot different. For you and in terms of your background coming from corporate America and knowing a lot of friends who work in corporate America, it's very hard sometimes to give up those opportunities, the health benefits, the the nice paying job, the perks, right? What advice would you give? Because we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are sitting right now at big corporations, have their idea. What advice would you give to them if they really want to pursue their passion or their dream and become an entrepreneur? I would say make sure that it's something that keeps you up at night that you are so absolutely passionate about because if you want to be an entrepreneur because you want to get rich or have more flexibility, like this journey is too hard for the the faint of heart. Like if you don't have a much bigger North Star and mission as to why you're building your business and why you think it needs to exist in the world, I would say, take a second thought and kind of rethink. And I would say, if you do, that it's okay to start small. Like I, for a year, was moonlighting early mornings, late nights, weekends, trying to figure out how to get this off the ground. Like one of a brand that I was supporting at at Coca-Cola at the time, the founder of Honest Tea, Seth Goldman, when I was telling him what I was working on, I had all the, I don't know about the price and the packaging. And he said, just get started. You won't know until you just take the first step. And so I think the most important thing is just to, to get started, to listen to your consumers to your customers, but also make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into because it is not a journey for the faint of heart. How old's your daughter now? She's seven. 
Okay, so she's seven years old. And does she have a concept or idea in terms of why you started this business and to see mommy probably working so hard? And what's her reaction? I think she thinks it's cool. They started serving the cookies at her school as a snack and she hadn't told her friends. And one of the gals in her class said, this is the best cookie I've had. And that was the first time that I think she thought like, this is cool what my mom does. So that was a proud moment for me. But I like that she's able to see that you can have a problem, create a positive impact on the world, but it's going to take a lot of hard work and sacrifice to be able to see success. So I'm grateful that she gets to see this journey with me. And how about, you know, with your husband too, it sounds like he's been involved at least from the driving standpoint and going around and demos and being a food entrepreneur specifically, I think is one of the toughest types of entrepreneurship uh, or food entrepreneur, restaurant owner, you know, like there is a lot of sweat labor going into it. How has that been for you and for him and also raising a seven-year-old girl? It is definitely a family labor of love. I feel fortunate to have a very supportive partner. And I don't know that I would be able to do this if I didn't. I don't know. It would just be tremendously harder, I'm sure. I remember in the early days of doing demos, my husband has a a full-time job in finance. He would show up with a shirt and tie with a Partake t-shirt in the backpack and do a demo after work. Like He's been a supporter and a model builder and demo doer and a help like cheerleader and shoulder and all of the things. And I feel fortunate to have a partner that is so supportive. And I think it's a really important part of my journey. Because if I didn't, I don't know that I can't imagine how much harder it would be. What makes you feel the proudest about what you've been able to accomplish since leaving Coca-Cola? I, we just got back um, results from a great place to work survey that we did totally confidential third party survey group and to read the comments from my team from junior team members saying that this is the first time in their career that they felt seen and celebrated and how proud they are to work at this company to be able to build the type of culture. And don't get me wrong, it's not perfect. We're flying the plane as we're we're building the plane as we fly it or whatever the saying is. But knowing that myself and my leadership team are trying our hardest to create the most inclusive food company possible and to help as many people as possible internally and externally as we do that is the thing that I'm most proud of. If you can envision a couple years down the road and seeing partake and, and where you're at, What is that vision? You're going to see us across a lot more aisles of the grocery store. Um, We're going to have a lot of different products that are available to uh, consumers all across this country, no matter their socioeconomic background. And you're going to equate us with having made a major dent in food insecurity and creating a more diverse landscape in the food industry. Well, I have no doubt that that is going to happen because I could see the drive. I could feel the energy. I could see any woman who is selling her engagement ring and actually still likes her husband and is able to do that and put her back against the wall. I really give you so much, I mean, just just credit and just just to be able to do that and come out fortunately as a success. I mean, that that's a really inspiring story you have. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Denise. And that is definitely how success happens. Thanks for having me. 
And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business. Or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.